All right. Thanks to our musicians. Let's go to, let's go to John 15 this morning. This has been our text for a couple weeks now, uh, on Sundays and on Wednesdays. And in John 15, on uh, the night before Jesus was crucified, he's with his disciples. And uh, really John 13 through 17, he, he, it's like his last real address to them. And if you were to read 13 through 17, there's, there's a lot. I mean, it's, it's probably, it was probably a lot to take in. And, and I have found myself, there's no evidence for this. I just kind of wonder if maybe Jesus could pick up on the fact that it was a lot, you know. And maybe, maybe in the midst of a lot of incredible theological things, he's like, hey, let me give you an illustration to help you understand what all, like how all this works in a relational sense. It would be perhaps maybe like if a parent was maybe talking to their children about the Lord and stuff, and you could just tell by their faces, they're like, what? Like, remember on on, on the office when they have a surplus and Michael goes to Oscar and he's like, can you explain a surplus to me? And Oscar explains it. And he's like, tell it to me like I was a 10 year old. <laughs> and then Oscar explains it like a 10 year old. And he's like, like I was a five-year-old. I, feel, I almost feel like kind of like that. Like maybe he was like, hey, I know you're not picking up on it. Regardless, it'd be like if you were talking to your kids and they're like, I don't understand. And maybe you had a fruit tree in your yard and you were like, hey, okay, so it's, it's kind of like this. See that, that tree? See our, our, uh, our lemon tree right there? See how there's like a trunk? That's like Jesus is like the trunk. And see how the roots go down into the ground and that's so the roots are what grabs onto the, the nutrients of the soil and the water and like, like draws it up through the trunk. And see how those different branches sticking out? That's kind of like, like you're, you're one of those branches and I'm one of those branches. And all the people at church are all the different branches that are sticking out. And all those branches are dependent on the trunk of that tree to give it everything that, that it needs. Like those branches need water and they need nutrients and they're counting on the trunk of that tree to draw all those things there and to cooperate with the sunlight and the rain and the weather and everything to give the branches everything they need so that when the time is right, there'll be lemons. See those lemons? That's how you know that it's a lemon tree. I mean, some people can maybe look at the the bark or the leaves, but most people are going to know that's a lemon tree because there's lemons hanging off of it. And the lemons, like those are the, that's like, that's the whole goal, right? Is for people to be able to look at the trunk of that tree and the branches and look at that and say, wow, that's beautiful. That's nourishing to me. I'm saying God's like the gardener who comes along and he knows exactly how to water the tree and how to, where to plant it in the yard so it gets the right amount of light. And when the branches aren't doing right, it cuts different parts of them off so that, so that that tree is as productive as it can. That's how God tends to us as he gives us Jesus as our trunk and a bunch of branches around us and through all that working together, this fruit comes out of our lives and people walk by us and they say, wow, look how beautiful that is. I wish I had that lemon tree and it makes people know who God is because just how he made everything. And as this is all happening, it's just like one big system that's going on and on and on and on. Well, in John 15, he uses a vineyard, which would be different from your lemon tree, but think about all that as we read first several verses 
says, I am the true vine, and my father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes that it may bear more fruit. And already you are clean because of the word I have spoken to you. Abide in me and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit, for apart from me, you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he's thrown away like a branch and withers, and branches are gathered and thrown into the fire and burned. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish, and it will be done for you. See that all that imagery in there and the, the vine dresser and the true vine and the branches and the fruit and the pruning and the point of your life is to bear fruit. If you're not bearing fruit, you're wasting your life. Just like a branch that isn't abiding, is not producing fruit, is wasting its life as a branch. And as all that is happening is this word abiding, all of the, that entire system, everything is, is connected and remaining together. The vine and the branch abide in one another. They're connected to one another. They remain in relationship with each other. He says, that's really the key to everything. It's staying connected to me, that my life is flowing into your life. And when that is happening, there is this fruitfulness that will come, especially as the vine dresser comes and comes to your life and is like, this is bad for you. This is bad for you. Let's cut this out. Let's cut this out. Let's bring about this fruitfulness because especially for them, like the idea of a vineyard was all about Israel being a blessing to the nations and the fruitfulness of being one of God's children. And so he's just just really just kind of like, uh, he's like established this, this bit of goodness and this imagery. And then he just keeps like adding to it and stirring it up and like making it like better and better and better. So we find ourselves in verse 8. By this, my father is glorified that you bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciples. As the father has loved me, so I have loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love. Just as I have kept my father's commandments and abide in his love. These things I have spoken to you that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. I'm telling you, it just keeps getting better and better and better. And so we've kind of been going a little bit at a time. So let's pick back up verse 8. If you want to hear the previous verses, you can look at on the podcast or YouTube or whatever. But look at verse 8. By this, my Father is glorified that you bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciples. Okay? Now, a few different phrases and words in there. One of them is, when he says, by this, my Father is glorified. I think glory and glorified, like all, that, all those words are, it's a part of like Christian vernacular, but we may not always necessarily know what, what those things mean. Um, most of that is rooted in Old Testament. Like that's an Old Testament word, uh, glory. And uh, it, it kind of pulls three ideas together that are very much interconnected. One is power. The other is majesty. The third is weight, like the weightiness 
that the power of God weighs more. The majesty of God weighs more. God himself weighs more. And so when he says, by this, my father is glorified, he's in a roundabout way, he's saying, by this, the weightiness of God is shown. The majesty, the power of God is put on display through the fruitfulness, just like the, the lemon is on display on a lemon tree. The grape is the fruit that's on display in a vineyard. That God is glorified. He's put on display his value and worth and weightiness is the goal of the vineyard. He says, by this, my father is glorified. What's the this? The this is the that, that you bear much fruit. You can quote me on that one. This is the that. By this, the bearing of much fruit and proving to be my disciples, that, that's how the weightiness of God is displayed. So the ultimate goal of the vineyard is fruitfulness, and fruit is how you identify the vineyard, just like the lemon is how you identify the lemon tree. Um, I had uh, the first house that I bought, I went and I bought two fruit trees, and I put them in two different parts of the yard, and um, if I had, for some reason, waited, I mean, if I, for some reason, had, like, gotten hasty and, like, taken the tags off and, like, lost them and got them confused, I planted them, I wouldn't have known, I wouldn't have known which was which. I couldn't say, oh, that's my orange tree and that's my lemon tree. I had a lemon and an orange, but I didn't, if I had somehow, like, gotten confused, I would have just had to wait until they started to bear fruit. And then they'd be like, well, that's clearly the lemon tree and that's clearly the orange tree. Jesus tells us this in Luke 6. No good tree bears bad fruit, nor again does a bad tree bear good fruit. Each tree is known by its own fruit. For figs are not gathered from thorn bushes, nor are grapes picked from a bramble bush. Okay? What he's getting at is like that's, that's how it works. That's how you identify a tree is by its fruit. And he's looking at his disciples and saying, that's the same thing with you guys. That gets, like, we get grafted into that. He's looking at us through the scripture and saying, the same thing goes for you in this room this morning. That you, like, the Father is glorified. The weightiness of God is shown by the bearing of fruit. And he says, and so that's how you prove to be my disciples, which if we're like kind of taking that verse out of nowhere, maybe it, maybe it makes sense, but it makes more sense if we know in the same conversation a few minutes earlier, he said this. Look, look a few paragraphs over in John 13, 34 and 35. A new commandment I give you, that you love one another just as I have loved you. You also are to love one another. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. In other words, what he says there is that's how people are going to know. That's the proof that you are mine by the way that you love one another. The hallmark of the people of God is love. And that is the fruitfulness of the people of God. That is how the weightiness of God is shown to other people is through love. 
Notice that what he doesn't say, that the glory of God will come through how well you behave. He doesn't say that. The glory of God will be shown by your strict morality. The glory of God will be shown by your perfect track record. The glory of God will be shown by which political party you affiliate with or which side of an issue you are on. I could go on and on and on with the many things that Jesus did not say, but sometimes you get the feeling that some of that's been like pulled in. Like we've kind of edited it of like, they will know you're my disciples by your love. Oh, and also by this. But Jesus didn't say those things, although there's room for various things and other conversations. The new commandment that he gave them, the love part was not new. The as I have loved you part, that was the new part. That's how they're going to know that you're mine. That's how they're going to know, oh, that's a lemon tree. Oh, that's a vineyard. Oh, that's a Christian. That's a Christian means little Christ. Oh, he's, that's one of Jesus's because of the love that's there. And sure, love kind of gets thrown out there in a lot of stuff these days, doesn't it? It's all about love, man. We just need to love each other. We just need to love people. We just need to love people. We need to love people. The Beatles blessed us with this really weird song. All you need is love. Have you ever looked at the lyrics of that song? You should look them up. Not now. At some point. The song makes zero sense, uh, which a lot of things on the album made no sense, and there's good reason for that. But uh, I'm pro-Beatles, and uh, I'm pro-love, and yes, all we need is love. However... Verse 8, he says, By this my Father is glorified, that you bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciples, referencing the new commandment he's just given them. And then he follows it right up with verse 9, As the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. Abide in my love. So when he tells them in chapter 13, Love one another as I have loved you, now he builds upon that and says, actually, I've loved you the way the Father has loved me. And so that love is a, that's a Trinitarian love. That's a divine love. That's, that's not the love that the Beatles were talking about. That's not the love that ends up in a lot of our social media arguments and that kind of stuff. It, it's a different kind of love. It's a different word. It says, the Father has loved me. The Father has agaped me. That's not proper Greek, but you know what I'm saying. That word agape, it, it, it's, a, it's a divine love, first of all. Like its origins are not human. Humans, we have our kind of love that where we are the, we're the starting point for it. But agape is divine, has divine origin, and it eternally wills and acts toward the good of another through self-sacrifice. That's the divine love of saying, I eternally love you. And whatever is good for you and whatever it costs me, I will do that. That's what he's telling them. By this kind of love, my father is glorified. That kind of fruit bearing proves that you're my disciples. The kind of love that the father 
agape to the son and the son agape to the disciples and now the disciples who are agape to one another. That's, that's how they're going to know. It's not just any kind of love. It's that self-sacrifice. If, if your good requires me to deny myself, then I absolutely will do it. It's that kind of thing. So Jesus brought that love of God to us, and now he shares it with us continually. That's why he says, abide in it. Like there is no running out of that. It's this endless supply from our true vine. It's, we don't have to ration it. We don't have to worry about there being enough to go around. It's just there all the time. And abiding in that love, that's what brings about the fruit of love in you. And so when I am connected to him, that kind of agape is going to work its way through my life and show in the fruitfulness of how I treat you and how I treat other people. That's, that's what happens. That's the, that's the design. The, that's the whole rhythm of the vineyard right there. Look at verse 10. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I kept my father's commandments and abide in his love. I think there's a part of us that's like, hey, you had me until I saw the word commandment, right? We don't like that word very much. Commandment, obedience, you know, like those kind of, those are kind of weird. It's like, man, come on, man. Sing that Beatles song. All we need is love. Why you got to bring commandments and obedience into it? And I think a part of that is because most of us learned, like, the idea of commandment or obedience, that, that whole realm, in a system of reward and punishment, Right? Like it may have been how your family was structured, how your school was structured, how your sports teams structured. Here's the commandment. If you keep it, you get rewarded. If you keep it, you get an allowance. If you keep it, you get a gold star. If you keep it, you get to start at the game this weekend. Here's the commandment. If you break it, no allowance. You break it, you get your name on the board. If you break it, you're sitting on the bench because coach is mad at you, that kind of thing. And that's not a judgment on on allowances or schools or sports teams. It's just saying like when that kind of is the way that we are brought up in this reward or punishment system, and then you see commandments, even the Ten Commandments, you're like, oof, those are the rules. I got to make sure I don't break them. And we kind of like get into that that structured system. But that isn't the system of the vineyard. I'm saying that like those systems have their place, but that's not the system of the vineyard. But sometimes we have a tendency as Christians to just kind of drag worldly systems into the church, you know? Like you take a corporate model of business and you're like, well, man, that works for business. It probably will work for the church. And we try to make our churches structured like businesses doesn't work that way because church is a family. Your family should not be structured like your company. I think it's very similar, that reward punishment stuff that's out there in our world. I feel like Jesus is like, hold on, that's, that's not how my vineyard works. That, that there is a, if we were to st- maybe stop seeing things like commandments and obedience and instruction and all those kind of things, 
when it's coming from the true vine and the vine dresser and when it's being empowered by the spirit to carry them out, uh, those are loving things being told to us. What if we were able to separate the reward punishment systems from our world from the like loving leadership of the vine and the vine dresser within our own lives? And think of it this way. If, if God is going to hand me down an instruction, it is absolutely because he loves me and it is for my good. And even if that requires self-sacrifice, even if it is part of the pruning process, it is going to like be beneficial to the Lord, to the kingdom, to myself, to the other branches, to the fruitfulness of our entire vineyard and to those who are walking by being like, I want to be a part of that vineyard. All of that is going to be beneficial. So why would I resist something that my vine is trying to lead me into? And so the cycle of the entire vineyard is love. Like this entire analogy, like it is like everything is interconnected and there's this life cycle that is happening. And so like this true vine lovingly supplies the branches who, because of love, begin to bear fruit. And that brings glory and weight and majesty to our vine dresser who then goes in and prunes us so that we can bear more fruit. And then uh, when there's more fruit, there's more branches that begin to grow, which means more life from the vine, which means like more life flowing into the branches, which means more fruit. It's like this entire like cyclical thing that's happening that every bit of it is loving. At no point is there a reward punishment system going on. It's just God looking at us and being like, hey, this is joy. Look at the very next verse, verse 11. These things I've spoken to you that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. The goal of the vineyard is fullness. God's not withholding from you. That's what tricked Adam and Eve in the very first place back in the garden. Here's this tree. Sensing a theme here. God loves agriculture, apparently. There's a tree and he's like, don't eat of that tree bad for you. And these lies were introduced of like, hey, maybe it's not bad for you. Maybe it's actually really good for you. Maybe God is afraid that because he knows when if you eat of that tree, you're to become just like him. And he doesn't want a rival. He wants you to like be in your place. He's actually withholding an entire new world from you. And so you probably ought to eat of that tree. That mistrust of God that's what broke the world, ultimately. And we're paying the price because of it. But yet Jesus shows up and is like, hey, I'm going to remedy that. I'm going to heal that. And it comes down to the like, understanding that God's not withholding. That even the difficult things in life, even the things that require sacrifice, even the pruning of our lives, him cutting things out, he's saying, this is bad for you. That's where those commandments come from. It's like, hey, this, this is what's destroying you. Don't do it. Stay away from it. Start to think through the different things that he's called us to. And 
That's why he's like, hey, when you pray, pray like this. Because he, he's like, no, prayer is good for you. Like, you need to be praying. When you fast, fast like this. He just said in a few verses prior to this, my words dwell within you. Well, he's given us his words. Paul says that the word of Christ dwell richly within you. And so if we look at things like prayer and reading the Bible and fasting and these kind of things, it's like, well, these are rules that I have to do. And these are oppressive disciplines and stuff like that. Instead of being like, oh, God loves us so much that he wants us to go into our room, close the door and pray to our father who we can't even see. And yet he's there with us and knows everything that we need before we can even ask. And I, are you kidding me? He loves us so much that he saw to it that we would have a copy of his words all these years later in the most improbable way. Like you could, the statistics are insane about what are the, what are the chances of this document ending up in our hands and it being so coherent, even with, with all its peculiarities, so coherent from start to finish. I can't believe that he loved us that much to get that to us. He says, hey, love your enemies. Pray for those who are coming at you. Why would he say that? Is he trying to give us a rule? No, he loves you and knows that anger will destroy you. Withholding forgiveness will eat you alive. Even down to money when he's like, hey, give 10% of your money to the church to fund the work of ministry. I'll do more with the 90 than you can do with 100 anyway. I will work financial miracles among you and fuel the gospel getting to the nations. If you'll just do it, just trust me. He's not withholding from us. He's giving us the things that are good for us. And he is telling us to avoid the things that are bad for us. Like I, the entire life cycle of the vineyard is about love. And he says it so plainly. I've told you all of this, that my joy can be in you and that your joy will be full. So the goal is fullness, not withholding. The problem is we're a lot more messed up than we realize. I think we could probably all agree, like, oh, yeah. So it takes a little longer than we want. If you've ever planted a fruit tree from, like, a little, like, sapling, I don't know if that's the right word, a little sapling, it takes a while, doesn't it? Sometimes it takes years, life cycles, before the fruitfulness is there. We're kind of the same way. Like, it, it takes a while because we're... We're so much more broken than we realize, but when the life of the vine, we're connected to him and the vine dresser is tending to us, like we, we are moving in a direction. We are surrounded by branches that should be showing us, like, hang in there, kid. Keep at it. Get in the word. Get in the prayer closet. Walk deeply in community. Don't live in the shadows. Let's do this, that fruitfulness, it'll, it will come, it will come, it will come. We do a men's gathering once a month. And I love sitting in a room with men who are older than me and younger than me. And to be able to see this, these very things happening, to hear the wisdom from not only the younger men, I mean, not only the older men, but also the younger men, but to be able to, to have that sense of like, hey, it's worth it. Just just keep going. Don't quit. It's worth it. It's an incredible thing. 
And throughout this passage, he keeps telling us that remaining connected to him is essential to the entire thing. So keeping his commandments, okay, seeing these loving instructions he's given to us and abiding, they go, they go hand in hand and they fuel one another. Because I think sometimes it's easy to think like, well, do I keep his commandments because I'm abiding or do I abide so that I keep his commands? And I think it's just yes to both of them. They just fuel one another. As we are drawing life from him, our desire, the desires of our heart is to continue to abide. There are times in corporate worship when you're sitting there and there's just this sense of like, man, I don't really want to leave here. I don't want to leave this this moment, this place where I am because so much is waiting for me. I just kind of want to hang out here all the time. I think Jesus is saying, exactly. Like logistically, that's not going to work, but I can, I can keep you in that same heart space and mind space. Now, if all that is overwhelming to think about the, the, the loving instructions of God, you're like, man, he's told us a lot of things to do and to stay away from. And even if you're like, man, I can get on board with those things being not driven by reward and punishment, but coming from love and all that. But it's kind of overwhelming for me to think, where do I even begin I think that's very common of like, man, there's, that's just a lot. How do I know where to start? We did a staff retreat this week, and we were kind of planning out the fall and different things and doing a lot of assessments. And we got on, onto this conversation about how, how easy it is to kind of like feel like you're always terrible at everything when it comes to following the Lord, you know? Like, like we don't really know what to do sometimes when we feel stirred up for something, but you're like, I don't know where to start because this part of my life is kind of messed up and this part's kind of messed up and this and this and this and this and this and this. And it's so much, you're like, man, I guess I'm just terrible at following Jesus in, uh, altogether. But I feel like meeting with God's people should do the opposite for us. You know, There should be this empowerment. There should be this like reminder that, hey, you don't have to ask to be filled with the Spirit, you are filled with the Spirit. We just forget it sometimes. But if it's overwhelming, then perhaps maybe maybe just start with the new commandment. You know, command like when he said to love one another as I have loved you. Maybe just start there. Maybe just think, like, hey, how how can I bring that agape love into my home? What, what would self-sacrifice look like for the good of my spouse, kids, roommates, like whatever your situation is? What would self-sacrifice look like at work? Like how can I be, how can agape like through my life, how can that fruit show up so that people see, hey, in my life, God weighs more. Like in my life, God, God's words weigh more than other people's words. God's opinion weighs more than the words than the opinions of culture. You know? In our family, God's direction weighs more than what we desire. That's why we seek Him and we pray. And, you know, in our church, it's 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 about what God wants, not just what the majority wants. So maybe start there. Maybe just think. Maybe just shoot for that new commandment. Let that fruitfulness come into your life. 
and just see what it does. And the thing about that kind of fruitfulness is that um, from him, you can do that. Apart from him, you can do nothing. And so that abiding is like when that fruitfulness starts to happen, you're like, oh yeah, that's because I'm abiding, which means only he gets the credit. Like I'm just a branch. Like I'm just connected to the vine and then there's the fruit. I'm just kind of the conduit at this point. I hope that, you know, we'll wrap up. We'll do Wednesday night community groups and I'll finish. I'll go back to verse 11 next Sunday. I hope when it's all said and done, that we can walk away from this first part of John 15 just in, encouraged, you know. I mean, challenged, of course, but not in like a overwhelmed kind of way of like, no, I really think, I really see that God has set me up to be able to actually do this whole thing. That he like believes in me as a branch. And he believes in, in himself as the vine. And that this, like, we can be the kind of Christians who love as he loved us. And that that fruitfulness can draw those who do not know him to himself. Which might be you today. I don't, I don't know. You may have never thought about Jesus in these terms. You may have never thought about the need for forgiveness and new life. You may never have thought of yourself as a dead branch where the vine is saying, hey, come connect to me and my life will flow into your life. I died so that this would happen for you. And if so, you just need to tell him that today. Like, pray pray that, tell him that. But through all of this, you know, all of this really comes down to the fact that Jesus has modeled for us what this looks like. Like he, he keeps saying, as I have done this, you do this. The Father has loved me, I have loved you. When it comes to agape, he's shown us this is exactly what it looks like. Like, this is the cross. Him laying down his life for us. And so, in the next few minutes, we're going to sing, and there will be communion over here. And for some of you, that might be what connects you to with what he's saying here. That as I have loved you part gets a little more real sometimes when someone hands you the body of Christ broken for you and the blood of Christ poured out for you. And then you take those things physically into your body. Something happens in that moment that is very special. And sometimes that is the realigning of all the many scattered dots in our lives. And so we're going to sing. And if you want to receive communion, it'll be over here to your right. You can come down here, kneel and pray. But before we bless one another and scatter uh, to the corners of the parish, uh, let's really just give God these moments in an even more concentrated way. So let's stand together. Lord, I am grateful. I feel like God just, I fall in love with this passage more and more as we study it on Sundays and Wednesdays. I feel like I can, can almost hear the, the gentleness of your tone, but also like how serious you are, like how much you want your disciples to get it. And I include all of us in that as well. When I think about all the things going through your mind on that evening, 
and I'm sure the urgency in your heart. So thankful that these are some of the words that you spoke and that John uh, wrote them down and that you saw that we would have them in front of us. And so I pray that whatever from this morning we're supposed to grab onto, that we as individuals across the room would just really embrace that and lean into that. And for those who maybe are having their first real conversations with you, I pray that they would be able to sense your kindness and your you just urging them forward in that. So as we sing and pray and receive communion and maybe maybe some honestly need to go put some money in that offering plate. Like perhaps it's that kind of abiding obedience that you're calling us to this morning. We see all these things, God, as you lovingly telling us to just trust you as our vine and our vine dresser. So we thank you for the loving rhythm of the vineyard for these next few moments where we get to just embrace it. We thank you. Pray all this in your name. Amen.